Welcome to Disputes Digest for the week of February 6th, 2023. I'm Chris Campbell. Listeners, I hope you have had a great weekend. And here we are off to the races yet again. We've got this moot oral rounds. We've got several news stories and cool events to tell you about. So let's just jump into it. Last week, we started with talking about the past and the events of 2022. This week, let's start with looking into the future and specifically the next 100 years of international law. In this piece from Global Arbitration Review, where they talk about, well, this very topic. Let me explain. The 2022 International Law Weekend was held in New York to mark the centenary of the American branch of International Law Association. The event featured discussions with leading international lawyers, academics, diplomats, and more on international law, including space-related disputes, the influence of the Vienna Convention on Investor-State Arbitration, coercive diplomacy in the skies, the immunity of international organizations in the U.S., the development of private international law, and internet governance. To pick one topic, the Vienna Convention, the conversation hinged upon and talked about the continued reliance on the same set of interpretive tools providing potential for greater consistency and predictability in arbitral decisions. Other panels were broader in scope and discussed things like the increased use of aviation prohibitions and restrictions by states as a form of coercive diplomacy was another topic of discussion. And yet another topic still was the effect, like we talked about last week, of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in JAM v. IFC on international organizations' immunity. Then another panel talked about private international law and discussed the development of jurisdiction and enforcement of judgments of arbitral awards and mentioned things like the Singapore Convention on Mediation and the Convention on the Recognition of Enforcement of Foreign Judgments in Civil or Commercial Matters as such key developments. The discussion at the International Law Weekend provided valuable insights into the current state and future prospects of international law, and we'll put a link to the full article in the show notes. From there, let's talk about a recent article on the EU-Chile Advanced Framework Agreement. In doing so, let's take a look at the Kluwer Arbitration blog post by Mark Constantinidis who cryptically writes about a big bad dilemma referring to investment protection and the right to regulate. So let's start with the basics. The EU-Chile agreement includes an investor-state dispute settlement mechanism, which allows for investors to bring claims against states for breach of investment agreements. However, this mechanism has faced criticism as it limits the state's ability to regulate the public interest. And that's exactly what we're talking about here, the big bad dilemma. How do we balance the protection of investments with the ability of states to regulate the public interest? Constantinidis notes that it is a complex issue with no easy answers. On the one hand, investors need protection for their investments, otherwise they wouldn't invest in the first place. On the other hand, states need that ability for planning, for protecting the public good, for investments in its own government policies and interest. And that regulation may impact its investments. So it's a delicate balance to strike. Now, some countries have responded to the dilemma by proposing reforms to the ISDS system. For example, the European Union has proposed reforms to the ISDS system in order to address concerns about the right to regulate. 
These reforms aim to provide greater transparency and accountability in investment disputes, while also ensuring that the right to regulate is respected. The article ultimately concludes that it's up to each state or block to decide how to balance these competing interests, but ultimately the goal should be to find a solution that ensures the protection of investments while also allowing for the necessary regulation in public interest. So that's the story in a nutshell. It's a complex issue with no easy answers, but it's important to find a solution that strikes a balance between protection of investments and the ability of states to regulate the public interest. In many ways, versions of this same conversation are already playing out across various states that are active in investor state disputes or have such mechanisms written into their treaties or domestic structures. And importantly, these issues demand a resolution point. So what do you think? Ping me in the inbox and let me know what you think or leave me a comment in the post of today's episode. From there, let's take a look at a recently constituted tribunal before the Permanent Court of Arbitration, which was constituted on this occasion under the auspices of the Indus Water Treaty. For those who may be unaware, the Permanent Court of Arbitration, or PCA, is an intergovernmental organization established by the 1899 Hague Convention and has 122 member states. The headquarters are at the Peace Palace in The Hague and its facilities offer various types of dispute resolution proceedings among different combinations of states, intergovernmental organizations, and private parties. Specifically related to this matter, the court addressed certain organizational matters and their procedure to be followed in the arbitration. While Pakistan was represented in these discussions, India declined to participate and express their view that the court is not competent to consider the questions at hand, or other words, it lacked jurisdiction. The Court of Arbitration acknowledged India's objections and decided to consider them as a preliminary matter in an expedited proceeding. The Court will be seeking further submissions from both parties and anticipates issuing a decision regarding its competence in June of this year, including Professors Wouter Beitart of Belgium, Mr. Jeffrey M. Menier of the United States, Judge An Sawakt, Judge Awan Sawakt Al Kaswahine of Jordan, and Dr. Donald Blackmore of Australia. It'll be interesting to see how this case plays out, whether India eventually participates, and what the court finds persuasive in making its determinations. From there, we head to our fourth story, where we get to talk about some exciting news out of the British Virgin Islands, and it includes a friend of the show, Shan Greer. Let's dive into it. Shan M. Greer has been appointed as the new CEO of the British Virgin Islands International Arbitration Center, the BVIIAC. She will succeed Kevin Dealey, who has served as the CEO for five years and is retiring in March. Shan is a seasoned professional with over 20 years of experience in the international arbitration field. She has a deep understanding of the global arbitration community and a strong track record in the development and implementation of successful strategies. She has worked with numerous international organizations and has held senior positions in leading law firms and dispute resolution centers. Shan has also been a strong advocate for diversity and inclusion in the legal industry and has served as a mentor to many aspiring young professionals. She is committed to promoting the BVIAC as a leading institution for international arbitration and to supporting the growth and development of the local arbitration community. In her new role, Shan will lead the BVIIAC's efforts to promote the use of international arbitration as a cost-effective and efficient method of resolving disputes, both domestically and internationally. She will work closely with stakeholders in the BVI, including the government, the private sector, and the legal community, to establish the BVI-IAC as a leading center for international arbitration. 
Shan's appointment as CEO marks an important milestone in the center's history and represents a significant step forward in its efforts to promote the use of international arbitration as a preferred method of dispute resolution. With her extensive experience, deep knowledge of the global arbitration community, and her commitment to promoting diversity and inclusion, Shan is well positioned to lead the BVI IAC into the future. As one final note of background, the BVI IAC is a nonprofit organization established in 2013 with the goal of promoting the use of international arbitration in the area. The center provides a range of services to support international arbitration, including the administration of arbitration proceedings, the provision of training and education, and the promotion of best practices. With Shan at the helm, the BVI IAC is poised to continue its growth and success and to solidify its position in the international arbitration community. Our fifth and final story for today takes us back to the United States, and in particular, the Third Federal Circuit. The Third Circuit recently held that a correspondence between parties could be construed as an arbitration agreement under the New York Convention. Not to be too basic here, but as any Moody or first-year arbitration student will tell you, the New York Convention is a treaty that governs international arbitration and that it requires signatory countries to enforce arbitration agreements and recognize awards made under those agreements. Over 170 nations across the globe have signed on to the treaty and it's been around since 1958. This ruling from the Third Circuit came as a result of a dispute between two parties who had previously entered into a contract. And during the course of their business relationship, the parties exchanged several emails and letters regarding potential breaches of contract. In one of these correspondences, the parties agreed to resolve the dispute through arbitration. The defendant argued that the correspondence was not a binding arbitration agreement because it lacked the necessary elements of a formal agreement, such as a signature. The Third Circuit disagreed, holding that the correspondence, when considered in its entirety, could be understood as an arbitration agreement under the New York Convention. The court relied on the principle that an agreement to arbitrate need not be formal or even in writing, but may be established by any means that show the party's intention to arbitrate disputes. The Third Circuit also noted that a party's exchange of correspondence reflected their agreement to resolve disputes through arbitration. The court stated that the correspondence indicated that the parties were aware of the potential for disputes and had agreed to resolve them through arbitration. Moreover, that the court held that the fact that the correspondence was informal did not prevent it from being considered as an arbitration agreement. In summary, this ruling is significant because it underscores the principle that an arbitration agreement can be formed through correspondence that does not necessarily rely on formal means. This ruling provides more clarity and flexibility for parties in international arbitration, allowing them to resolve disputes through less formal means. The ruling also provides guidance for courts to interpret and enforce arbitration agreements in accordance with the New York Convention. The Third Circuit's decision highlights the importance of considering the party's intent and the context of their correspondence in determining the existence of an arbitration agreement. The ruling is expected to have a positive impact on the efficiency and accessibility of international arbitration, making it a more accessible and practical means for resolving disputes for parties involved in international transactions. All right, that's it for the news, but before we get out of here for today, we have one more exciting announcement. Tales of the Tribunal is collaborating with Georgetown International Arbitration Society, GIAS, as they host the 11th annual Georgetown International Arbitration Month to be held between February 2nd and March 2nd of 2023 in Washington, D.C. 
Now, while the keynote address delivered by the Honorable Judge Charles Brower of 20 Essex already took place on February 2nd and focused on the future of ISDS and the Uncentral Working Group 3, there are a variety of events taking place throughout the month, including panel discussions, workshops, debates, and a mock case hearing. Topics of discussion will include the implications of Russia's sanctions for arbitration, third-party funding and transparency under the 2022 ICSID amendments, the Energy Charter Treaty, damages in international arbitration, and cross-examination in international arbitration. Each session and event will be followed by a cocktail or networking reception, and for more information and to register for any of these events, we'll include a link and the announcement itself in the show notes. That's it for Disputes Digest this week. I hope you enjoyed and learned something from this week in the news. We'll be right back in your news feed or your podcast, Phil, next week. Thank you for listening. This has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. See you soon. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.